let's go. Let's go. JC, my man, listen, one day when I grow up, I want to be just like that guy right there. Anybody full from, from tonight, from the worship, from the exhortation? I just want to pray right now for, for God to give us just a little bit more capacity to receive what he wants us to receive tonight. So can you pray with me tonight? Father, Father, we ask you tonight for more. God, we want more of you. We invite you into our homes, into our hearts, into our minds, into whatever space we're in tonight, God. And we, we're asking you to expand our capacity for more of you. God, we want more of you. We need more of you. God, we're asking that you would download something to us tonight to help us. Not just to to do friendships well, not just to do relationships well, but to be who you have called us to be. So God, I ask you tonight to help us. Help us, God. We want, we need, we need you here tonight. God, I ask that you would help me in this moment to decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Well, hey family, my, my name is Jermaine Moore, again, associate pastor in Sterling. So they've invited me back to the stage. So either I did something right or I was the last resort. But either way, I'm here and I'm excited to talk about relationships, finish up our series. We've talked about uh, love with Pastor Corey. We've talked about uh, marriages with Pastor AJ. Pastor Tellish preached fire last week on singleness. And I hope you guys saw that, but today we get to talk about friends. Now, I was going to sing the song that JC already, but I'm not going to do it, but you guys hear it. What about, what about another lyrical philosopher that I grew up listening to, um, which I would call TLC, wow. right? You guys remember the song from TLC? I'm not going to sing it. Yeah. Will they? They're ground. Will they let you down? Hey, yeah, yeah, all right? What about your friends, right? Are they going to be low down? Will they ever be around? Or will they turn their backs on you? Woo! What about this one? I'll be there for you. Remember that, Friends? Yes, the sitcom, Friends. They taught us about Friends a little bit and really a distorted version of Friends. But these are a few of the songs that shaped my view of friendship growing up. The sitcom Friends shaped my view of friendships growing up. And like many of them, they were catchy, they were fun. But after really careful analysis, what I've come to learn is that they really weren't helpful in in actually making me into a really good friend and definitely not a godly friend. They were really centered around around me, what I could get. They were self-serving. They were superficial. They were transactional. And it was no wonder that most of my relationships uh, failed. I had more failures than I had successes. And so that's what I want to do tonight, guys. I've come to realize that I was really never taught how to actually be a friend. And so tonight I want to talk about not how to do friendships. I want to talk about how to be a friend. As Elder J.C. Sherrod, one of my mentors, uh, says, says it like this, we, we aren't human doings, we are human beings. So we're going to survey Paul's letter in Romans chapter 12, 
as he shifts from 11 chapters of, of teaching us biblical theology, and it's a deep well of the gospel, he switches from 11 chapters to, to chapter 12, where he begins to say, now this is how you take all of these things that I've taught you and actually live these out practically in relationships. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 today, and hopefully we can glean something from it. It says this. It says, therefore, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. It says, for by grace or for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. God, help us as we study here today. Again, as I, as I said before, I want to talk not about just doing friendships, but actually becoming a friend, being a friend. And I believe this is exactly how Paul shapes the letter. If you were to read verses 9 through 21, it reads, it reads like a to-do list of, of what it means to, to do friendships. It's almost like 30 different instructions. If you read the ESV, the section, the section is titled, Marks of a True Christian. If you read the CSB, it titles it, Christian Ethics. If you read the NIV, it says, Love in Action. If you read the New King James Version, it says, Behave like a Christian. If you read the NET, it says, conduct in love. Now, I could keep going, and I believe this is a really worthy read. As a matter of fact, the initial sermon that I had written for this was actually going to be in this passage, and I had a whole sermon prepared, and I'm really upset that I don't get to teach it, but I believe God was really refocusing me as I was putting the sermon in context, was that Paul, he didn't start with verses 9 through 21. Paul started with verse 1. And verse 1 talks about not doing, but verse 1 and verse 2 talks about becoming who the person God wants you to become. So if you want to do relationships well, what's Paul is saying, if you want to to do friendships well, if you want to be the friend that God has called you to be, then you have to start, number one, with understanding and knowing the greatest friend that you could ever have. And that friend is God. God. His word calls him the the I am that I am, the I will be who I will be. I mean, he is saying that that if anything, he embodies everything that we could ever want or imagine. And so think about this. If he's saying I am, then he's saying that I am that friend. So if you need a friend tonight, I'm I'm saying here, listen, Jesus is saying to you tonight, I am your friend. I am your friend. Not only within himself, he embodies it, you know, within himself because he's, he's God. God is God. God is three persons in one, best friends forever. There's the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit living in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love forever. 
But he also shows us what it means to be a friend because he has expressed it to us vividly. And these are the mercies of God that, that Paul kind of points us to in, in, the, in the 11 chapters. So this verse 1 says, therefore, in view of these mercies, these 11 chapters of mercies that he's talking about, this is God expressing his friendship towards us. This is God expressing his grace, expressing his love, expressing his mercy, expressing for us what it means to be saved, his justification, our salvation, our sanctification, our victory, our freedom, everything that we don't deserve, he has expressed it towards us through Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is his compassion towards us. And that is mercy and his friendship. That is friendship that he has expressed towards us. The very definition of what it means to be a friend And he not only talks about it, he's being about it. You guys see what I'm saying here. In John 15, 13, he says it like this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And so in view of this perspective, dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you read this passage, he's talking to believers. He says, in view of this, in view of these mercies, in view of this friendship that God has expressed towards us, if I can sum up this verse, he says, just get closer to your friend. I mean, he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And he's saying, offer it as a holy and a pleasing one to God. But ultimately, all he's saying is, just get to know him. Remove your constraints. Remove all the boundaries. Remove all the things that would get in the way of you knowing who he is. Give your life. Give your emotions. Give your affections. Give who you are. All of you, your thoughts, your, your mind, your body, your soul, your past, your present, your future. Give it all to him. Give him access as he gives access to you, and you, in, in one sense, become great friends with the best friend that you could ever have. While, while also, you know, not allowing yourself to conform to the, to, to, to the algorithm of our culture, he says, he makes this promise in verse 2, that he would transform you. That's where we get our word metamorphosis. It's where we, we change, where, where something changes from one thing and changes to another. That's completely unrecognizable. That the old you no longer exists and you have become something completely new. You don't just look like a new person. You look like Jesus. You know how, how you hang around somebody for a, for a long time that you begin to, to kind of act like them and begin to dress like them, begin to talk like them, you begin to walk like them. If you're in our church here, you, you can see that embodied in Pastor AJ and Pastor Tellus. You, you, don't, you don't necessarily know where one ends and one begins because they've been hanging around each other so much that they, they look and, and talk like each other and walk like each other and dress like each other. But this is what I'm describing here today, that hanging around this this Jesus hanging around your best friend that you begin to live like him. You begin to look like him. You begin to love like him. And this is important because if Jesus is the one true friend and he expresses real friendship towards us and we begin to look like him, then what is he doing? He is actually transforming us into being a friend. We begin to embody the, the character of God and the people that are around us begin to, to begin to eat off the, the fruit of the tree of our life, 
right? They begin to, to taste and consume um, everything that, that they can get from us that looks like Jesus, his, his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what they're eating, and they, you have been transformed into a friend. That is what he is transforming us into. But what's interesting here is, as Paul continues to exhort and teach is that he, he says people are, are going to look and see. He says that, that they'll be able to, you'll be able to prove God's will is perfect. And so they're, they're going to see and see a change in your life. And they're going to see God's hope and victory in your life. Uh, but what's, what happens next is we're not focused on necessarily how other people see you. We need to next now focus on how you actually see yourself. In this verse 3, Paul says, Paul says like this, For by the grace given me... So he is, in a sense, reminding this church here of who he is, that he's an apostle. This is the authority. This is the power that that he is walking in, that he is approaching them with. It will be like Pastor Brett kind of sitting here on a a stool, and you know he's, he's leaning in now. And he has something really important that he wants you to hear, and he wants you to listen because this is important. And this is what he says as he leans in. How you see yourself is really messed up. You need to change how you see yourself. And this is, if you look at this church, I mean, this was a very demographically diverse church. I mean, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. There was lower class, upper class, middle class, second class. There was successful people, non-successful people, rich, poor. There were people that had lots of talents, some that didn't have many talents. And so as, as people began to kind of see themselves, uh, how they saw themselves really uh, affected how they related to others. And so Paul began to basically challenge this church with all the authority that he had to disregard their status, to dis- disregard their upbringing, to set aside their giftings, to set aside their callings, to set aside how the world would identify themselves and to say, look, identify yourself by one single measurement. And this one single measurement is the faith that God has assigned to you, his mercy. Identify yourself by the gospel and God's mercy. That's it. That levels the playing field for everybody. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, the gospel prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are sinners, and all of our efforts earn only judgment and we are, we are saved entirely by another's kindness. And the gospel also prevents us, thinking, present, prevents us from thinking in a more lowly way than we ought. We are saved sinners, and we are loved and valued in the gaze of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. Family, how you see yourself is such an important issue. It's probably one of the biggest issues that we we face, in a sense, as Christians here in the church, who we are in Christ. And so even as we are being transformed to look like Jesus, we're still struggling with our own insecurities. We're still struggling with our our own sense of kind of shame and and self-hatred. And even on the opposite side, we struggle with our arrogance and our entitlement and our own self-importance and our pride. And we don't see ourselves. And when we identify ourselves through lenses of comparison or through lenses of social media or through the lens of what someone else has has said about us, 
and we, we identify ourselves through our careers and, and through what we see as important and our talents or maybe the lack thereof, we take that identity and we take that into our relationships. And it, it may be all, all good for a while as things are going perfectly in your relationships. But the minute there's friction, the minute there's something that goes wrong, it's a, you know, it's cancel culture, right? It's, it's, it's mute. It's, hey, look, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And so, listen, what I'm trying to say is that our response to other people is directly affected to what, how we define ourselves and how we view ourselves. And what God is saying here is, and at least what he's saying through Paul, is that, Listen, your friendships don't have to be messy. <laughs> you know, if you can view yourselves through the lens of God's mercy, that is how we are to define ourselves. We are defined by God's love, by God's mercy, by God's grace, by God's friendship that he has expressed towards us. So if, you are, if you're on the, the high esteem side and you have lots of talent, lots of giftings, uh, lots of success, hear what God is saying. You have, you have success because of God's mercy. You have money because of God's mercy. You have talent and gifting because God has decided to grace you with that through his friendship. You have all the things you have because of God's mercy. But if you're on the other side and you have kind of this, this low esteem, hear, hear what the, the Bible is saying to you today. Hear what the gospel is saying to you today is that you aren't defined by what someone else has told you. You aren't defined by your lack. You are defined by God's mercy. God's gospel says that you are valuable. God's gospel says that you are more than a conqueror. God's gospel says that you are strong and courageous. God's gospel in his mercy says that you are victorious, that you have hope, that you have victory, that you have a purpose. God's gospel says that you have value and worth. And this is what the gospel says to us. His mercy says this to us and defines us. And family, if we can get this right, it will transform our relationships. There's this, uh, I knew a guy, eight years old, lost his father. Father took his life and he grew up not knowing his, not knowing his biological father, didn't really understand it at the time. But as he grew up, the level of his understanding of the abandonment and the rejection in that moment became stronger. He felt that. Ten years later, though, at 18, he gave his life to the Lord, gave his life to Jesus, and he was met by the mercies of God and began to understand and have a relationship with his, with his heavenly father. And his life was changed. Fast forward five years later, he meets a young lady, falls in love. Two years later, he gets married. In between that time, he gets met with another rejection. He gets met with the rejection from his father-in-law. His father-in-law says that you're not good enough for my daughter, and he gets rejected. And so he begins to, to feel that rejection again. In his mind, he thought, you know, I know my father in heaven, but man, the relationship that I didn't have with with my, my biological father, I, I, I would be hoping to have this with this father-in-law and then to just experience that rejection. But again, he's, he's growing in God. He's beginning to know God and, and learn about God, and he's been established by the grace that God, God has given to him. 
10 years go by, there's no conversation with this man. There's, there's kids now involved. There's rejection after rejection, and there's this, this hurt and this pain, and it's over and over and over again. 10 years go by. Now there's a moment all of a sudden for reconciliation. And as the father-in-law meets this, this young man, and he sits down with him, and he says, you know, I, I want to reconcile, but I don't know how to begin. The guy goes, I'll tell you, I love you. I want to be reconciled, and if you want to be reconciled, we can push the past to the past, and we can just move forward. And in that exact moment, in a moment where, listen, listen to me, family, in that moment where, where, where this, this guy could have been entitled and been to some degree righteous to at least speak his mind and say, you hurt me, you rejected me, you, you, you did this to me, and I, I, I need to tell you how much you offended me. He had a moment to, to say that, but he didn't. Why? Because he was defined by God's mercy. And in that moment, there was a breakthrough. There was a breakthrough. And, and they began to have a re- relationship and talk, not about the past, not about the hurt, but about, hey, what is this going to look like for us in the future? And again, what I'm, what I'm saying is this, this is a story about a, a young man, but even the father-in-law himself had been transformed by the gospel. He, he came into that moment himself having, met, having been met by the mercy and the grace of God. And so this is two men met by mercy, met by grace, being defined by grace and mercy, coming together and saying, hey, look, I love you. I love you. What can we do to reconcile? And then they reconcile and things have, have changed. And now they're, they're family. And now the grandfather knows the grandkids and the son knows the father. And they have a relationship. They're defined by mercy. This is the story. Family, this is my story. Most of the people that are in here know that that's my story. That's who I am, defined by mercy. And so there was a, a, a moment and an opportunity, family, to destroy whatever relationship I could have had. And there are moments for us where we can destroy relationships. The unmerciful friend is the one that destroys relationships. The merciful friend is the one that defines relationships. I'm just going to meditate on that for a second. Here we go. Um, listen, Paul, Paul continues here in, in, verse, in verse 4 through 5. And he's, he's layering in a lot of, a lot of things. Again, he's, he's already told us, hey, if you want to be a friend, if you want to be a friend, you want to you become a friend, then you got you to gotta see, see God. And then, then God transforms us, and then you got to be able to see yourself the way God sees you. And then, then he says here in this passage, he's basically saying, hey, you got to be able to, to see others as well. And, and he's, he's painting this picture here because there are so many takeaways, and I don't really have a lot of time to kind of cover them all, but there's this... There's this, this church in Rome, and everybody has gifts, and everybody has talents, and everybody's using them to serve the church. But, but apparently, because of the, the diversity of the talents, some talents and gifts have been elevated, and then there are some that have been devalued. And so some people within the body begin to, to feel a little bit like, hey, I'm not important. And some are feeling like, hey, you know, I, I am really important. This thing will not survive without me. Um, and so what, what Paul is saying, listen, that, hey, we're all one body. And just like the body has many members, 
all the members are necessary for the, bottom, for the body to function well. And so if the members aren't there, the body fails, right? We're all together. We're all meant to do this together. And so he is, he's clearly kind of stating this, that the body needs every member and every member needs the body. And this is a really good teaching. Uh, but what really jumped out to me was, was that Paul was in, in, instructing this, this church to, to do church and to do it well but none of his instructions would have mattered if they weren't together. I want to make sure you guys understand what I'm saying here. Because <laughs> Paul is making some assumptions that, hey, I, you, I know that it's a mess, but you guys are kind of messy together. You guys are, 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 he's not having to, you know, basically bring them together. He's just saying when you are together, you're just kind of, you know, destroying one another. And I want to make sure that you don't do that and you do this, you do this well. So this, there's this assumption that he's making that, that these people understand that they need each other. And they're supposed to be together. They're supposed to have a desire for one another. And so Paul is making this statement, and he addresses them. He never addresses them not being together. So Paul is saying this, and he's making this statement that, hey, you know, you guys are together, and I understand that. And he's not saying you don't need together, don't you need to be together. My question for us is, why are we the church that says that we don't need one another? Why is it so hard for us to get people to come into the body, to come to a small group, to get connected to one another? Why do we push people away? Why do we act like we don't need one another when we see other people that's not important enough for us? Like we were really good at just kind of detaching ourselves from the situation, running from connections, acting like we are super self-sufficient, kind of isolating from one another, and really kind of walking in this way that says, you know, I can really do bad all by myself. <laughs> now, now I'm, not, I'm not naive, right? Cause so I can understand many of the reasons why people push other people away. We're introverts. We're tired. We're too busy. We've been heartbroken before. We've been abused. We've been mishandled. People are just weird, man. And people are just different than I am. And I just, I think I'd just be better alone. And I could go on and on and on. And these are, these are real. You know why I know that this list is real? Because this list is me. Like when I made this list, I was describing myself. I'm speaking from experience here. And what I'm, what I'm really trying to say, because this list is me, and if this is you, you need to be connected to the family more than anyone else. My life has been drastically changed because I, I've been connected to Pastor Tellis and Pastor AJ and to Pastor Duke and to Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim and Pastor Eddie and Pastor Corey. I can keep, I can keep naming. These guys were my friends before they were pastors. Before I was a pastor, these guys were in my life, speaking into my life. Like, I would not be here without those men really corralling around me and saying, hey, I love you, man. You can, you can do this. You're great. You're awesome. Come on, let's go. Let's do this together. Let's charge on together. You need this more, this, the, the life that's flowing through the body. We, we as, a, as, as people, need to push back against the, the culture that cancels people, that says it's, it's just easier if I just don't see them and cancel and just don't be a part of their life, to mute and just kind of move on, to divorce ourselves from, from whatever relationship that we're in and just go find another one. And my, my, my urge and my push to you all is to divorce like to, to lean in more to the relationships and friendships that God has ordained 
to be in your life. And the marriages that God has ordained to be in your life. Family, you need the body. The body needs you. The, the hand that's attached to the body with the blood and life flowing through it can fully function as it was designed to function if it's attached. Right? It can, it can pick things up. It can carry things. It can hold things. It can unlock things. It can protect things. It can, it can fight things. It can heal. Guys, understand I'm talking a little bit more than about the hand, right? Um, it can heal. It can join with the other hand and do twice as much and move things. Listen, it can do all the things that it couldn't do if it were detached. But on the flip side, the body needs the hand. Listen, if the hand is removed, the hand will probably die, right? But the body in itself will have to compensate for the loss of the hand. We'll have to overcompensate with other members of the body. Other members of the body will be used in ways that they weren't necessarily designed to be used. And this is where, uh, you know, people begin to operate at a deficit. This is where the church began to operate at a deficit because the, the person hasn't necessarily seen themselves as, ne- as, as somebody that needs someone that's necessary. And so they're, they're extricating themselves from the situation, saying, I don't need to be here, but not realizing that the people they're leaving are saying that they need you to be there. You, you need to be there. You're necessary for the function of that body. Family, if you can hear me, husbands, wives, if you married, relationships, I'm, my, my, my push here, and this is just my marriage push, I'm not Pastor AJ, but listen to what I'm saying here, is don't, don't, don't detach yourself from that situation, right? Like the, disconnecting yourself and kind of stepping away and saying, you know what, I, I, I don't need to be here, they don't need me here. This is, this is something that will not only damage yourself, but it will, it will damage those that are connected to the body of that marriage. The, the spouse gets hurt. The kids get hurt. There's, there's, there's dysfunction that happens all around. And what I'm, what I'm saying today is the, the body needs you and you need the body. The body needs you and you need the body. And so, family, if you're feeling disconnected right now or maybe you've hit the eject button for yourself, I would say get connected to the body of God. If you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling lonely, you're feeling broken, the hope and the healing and the rest that you need for your body is probably in the thing that you've been pushing away and been avoiding, and that is in the family of God, in his people, friendship with his people. So I'm begging you tonight to re-engage with the body of Christ. There is hope here. There is life here. There's fullness here. There's activity here. There's purpose that's here. Guys, if you just pick up the phone and just call someone. If you would, you would hit in the chat tonight. Uh, just hit the prayer button. Don't disengage. Connect. If you would just hop into that small group. You need the small group, but the small group needs you as well. Jesus shows us this in his own life. In the fullness of his humanity, Jesus had 12, 12 crazy guys hanging around him. Three which were closer. One which he loved the most and, and one that betrayed him, but he still had 12 kind of proving that, hey, we're not meant to do this alone. He says it in his word. 
We can't do this alone. I think we'd be foolish to think so. You need friends in this body. So I'll, I'll just say it like this. To be a friend, to be a true friend, a friend means that you are a friend to the body and you're actively pursuing friendships. And so I'll close like this because there's a lot more that I could say, but I've run out of time. But what if we all did this? What if we, we all stepped back and said, you know, you know maybe I, I, I haven't been the best friend because maybe I haven't really learned how to be a friend. But in this moment, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking here to step back and say, you know what, I'm going to lean in more to God. I'm gonna ha- God, help me to, to be transformed into the friend that you are. And what if we allow ourselves to be transformed to the image of a friend? And what if we start looking at others through the lens of mercy and we actually begin to get engaged with one another like we actually needed them and they needed us? Family, I can tell you what would happen. The true purpose of friendship is what would happen. John 17 says it like this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through this message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may, be, may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, this is the, the, the purpose of friendship. It's not about us. It's not about what I can get. It's not about what this person can do for me. It's about God and his glory on the earth. Our, our relationships, our friendships, our marriage, they have a mission field. And the people around us are looking. And as they see transformed people walking in transformed relationships, walking in mercy towards one another, they don't just see us, they see God and they know him, is what it says. Family, will you join me in being a friend tonight? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word to us that challenges us to not just do, but to be. So God, I pray here tonight for your, your help here to help us lean in to you kind of push aside our culture, to push aside the council culture, to push aside divorcing ourselves from one another, and to lean into grace, to lean into mercy, to identify ourselves with you, and to look at others, others the way that you see them. Help us tonight, God, to be friends, to be a friend of yours and a friend to others.